Good morning. It is good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. And this morning, I want us to think about something that we should think about all the time. We should have also thought about this before we were immersed. We're going to get an example of uh, examples that we have been taught of not counting the cost and then accounts of examples of actually counting the cost. So if we turn to, let me put the bookmark back there in Matthew. We're not in Matthew yet. That's going to be one of our supporting verses. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Again, this is the uh, the point in Jesus' life when he is calling the, the fishermen to come with him and to, to go be with him. To be fishers of men. We're going to get to that point at the later end of this lesson. But as we see Jesus and his teachings, he does a wonderful thing at this point. Here we see these, these fishermen and they've gone out in their boats and they've gone out to they're casting their nets in a day's worth of fishing and they ain't caught nothing. They haven't caught one single thing. Now, I've, I've fished before and I even got caught absolutely nothing all day long and got so aggravated just go back to the the boat launch and pack everything up and just go home which is exactly what these men were doing now a little bit different from you and i we tend to give to fish with a rod and reel right you cast it out there they were fishing with nets for 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 their jobs basically to provide for their families and also for themselves so we see these men washing their nets in verse 2 they was, they was done for the day. You don't wash your nets until you're done. So we see Jesus coming along and he, he begins to uh, teach out in one of the boats. We're, 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 we're going to read these verses, but I'm giving you uh, the cliff notes, if you will. And he teaches the multitude and he tells one of the fishermen to launch your boat out and we'll go catch some fish. And he rebukes him and he says, well, you know, we've, we've been fishing all day and we haven't caught one thing. Jesus does something miraculous, enough to catch the eyes of these fishermen. So as we have begin, opened up to Luke chapter 5, open, uh, begin reading with me in the first verse. So it was as a multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out, put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. I'm right, gonna stop right there. Uh, think of it like a, an auditorium, if you will. All the feet, all the people out there on the bank, and Jesus needed to kind of step back from them so the folks in the back can hear. So he, he's he's by the lake, and the multitude is pressed up against him, and so therefore he launches out into Peter's boat. He tells him to go out a little piece so he can teach to the people so everyone can hear him. And then verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now picture yourself being Peter, uh, Simon at this time, and saying, well, you know, we've, we fished all day and this man wants me to go out there and, and go one more time. There ain't no fish out there, right? That's what a country boy would say. There ain't nothing out there. What's the point of going out there? 
But Simon answered and said to him in verse 5, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I know I said day, they, they, they toiled at night. So, at your word, I will let down the net. Just because you want me to go out there, here we go. I'll, I'll, I'll go out there and, and, and let down the net. and I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove you there ain't nothing out there. You know the, the type, right? Well, here's Peter letting down his net. And in verse 6, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Jesus was a pretty good fisherman, wasn't he? Don't you know that, that, that Simon's sitting there looking at this Jesus saying, <laughs> Okay, so what do you know that I don't know? When I, when I, when I think about this, uh, my dad and I, we used to fish in a little flat-bottom boat, right? And we, we got, finally got a, a depth finder. And on a depth finder, it had a little fish gauge on there. It was an early model, and it could just tell you stump, thinking it was a fish, right? So as, as we're trolling up there, I'm like, hey, there's a fish. There's fish here, you know. There, there's two over here. There's fish right here. There's fish in the water. You just got to catch them. Jesus had a little bit of a leg up on Simon. He was the son of God. And he could have commanded them fish to be just jump into the boat if he wished. But no, he was doing this as a point. He was showing his power to Simon. Simon Peter. All right. So it's signaled to their other partners, right? The ones who are still washing their nets. Y'all come on out, right? We need, we need some help. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish, right? Both boats, right? So we see these men going out all night fishing, not catching a thing. So it's all, we're done. We're going to go wash your nets. We're done. So at the word of Jesus, Simon goes out and says, all right, we'll cast them out right here. And their nets were breaking, as we're going to read. They caught so many fish, they filled two boats. Their nets were breaking in verse 6. They filled both boats in verse 7. And in verse 8, we see Simon Peter doing something significant. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized the power of Jesus, going all night and not catching a thing. Now, they were toiling, right? They were trying to catch some fish. But at the word of Jesus, and that's the significant part of this lesson, at the word of Jesus, they filled both of their boats. And take something important about this lesson as well, a little bit later about this. So we see these men toiling all night, not catching. They're trying, right? I've never caught that many fish ever. Ever. So these men, have, I don't think they've ever caught that many fish. Simon Peter was astonished at the power of Jesus, saying, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I am not worthy to be in your presence. For he and all were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Astonished at it. Never in my life have I ever seen anything like that. That's what they were thinking. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, 
you will catch men. Jesus looked into the hearts of these men and he seen them being his apostles. They seen him, they, Jesus seen these men taking his word to the lost. The representation of the fish astonished at Jesus' words by his command at great things were done. A little bit of reflection for you and I a little bit later. So we see Jesus telling them to let their nets down right here, into the deep, right here. Don't you know they said, well, we've been fishing there all night. He ain't caught a thing. So they filled two boats up, astonished at it. Peter saying, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus looks into their hearts and said, from now on, you will catch men. You will catch men. And that's an echo of time through us today in using Jesus' word to catch men, and ladies included, as, as people, human beings, heeding the word of God through Christ's instruction to come to him through his son to achieve or gain <laughs> salvation. So here this, these men catch this multitude of fish, even astonished at the catch, right? If this were your catch, what would you do? Look at what we've done. We've got to do something with all these fish. There was always a quarrel between Dad and myself. We was out there in a little flat-bottom boat. Nine times out of ten, we just turn them loose. We was out there just to have fun. We weren't there to feed our families. If we were, we would be catching them and cleaning them. The cleaning. Could you imagine preparing these two boatloads of fish? What happened to the fish? You might ask in your, what happened to them? We don't have an account. Because what happens to these three men? What did they do? Look at verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This massive catch that they had just astonished them, they left it and they followed Jesus Christ. And look what great things come from them. Look how many souls were saved at them following Jesus, heeding the word of God and being obedient to his commands. Look what great things were done through these men. See there? Jesus knew what they were going to do. And Jesus knew all, even to this day, what their teachings were going to do for even for you and I. Folks, he was God. He had the mind of God. So, so turn over back with me. I put that in the wrong place. All right, so we turn back over to the rich young ruler that Jesus talks about. We see the other end of this spectrum. So we see these three fishermen over here in Luke chapter 5 forsaking that immense catch that they had just seen, that they had just done by the power of Jesus, right? So we go over to the other end of the spectrum. So those three, well, by the way, these three fishermen... They didn't let the world come between them and Jesus. They didn't, let, they didn't let this... And that was worth a lot, by the way, those fish that they had just caught. So we see the rich young ruler over here in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? That is a wonderful 
halfway good question. The reason why I say halfway because Jesus rebukes him at part of that question. But his, his, his intent of this question is, what must I do to receive everlasting life? What do I do? Well, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus was actually talking about the Old Testament at that time. Keep them. He knew he was he, he already knew his heart. He already looked within his heart and he knew his intents. Alright, so we see verse 19. Then he said, then the rich young ruler asked him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you sh you shall shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, just, just a few of the ten, right? Just a few. So we see in verse 20, the young man said to him, well, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? That is a wonderful question that you and I need to ask ourselves in our everyday walk of life. What do I lack in the eyes of God? This rich young ruler asked Jesus this question. His words came out of his mouth. And don't you know Jesus lit up? Well, here we go. Here's your answer. Jesus said to him in verse 21, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Again, following me. 11, we see those three fishermen, Peter, James, John, all follow Christ after what they had just seen and what they had just done. So we see Christ telling this rich young ruler, forsake all, sell what you have, and you will have treasure in heaven, and follow me. The reason why I say it's the other end of the spectrum because of verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possession. The reason why I say this, and the, the, one of the reasons why what spurred this lesson was because one of our uh, verses in our in our Bible class, and we read that this morning. Second Corinthians verse uh, chapter seven verse eleven. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What what fear? What vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. What kind, what, what kind of sorrow do we have as people? Is it a godly sorrow or is it an earthly sorrow? For this rich young ruler had an earthly sorrow because he didn't want to lose all that he had. He put earthly things before God as the masses do today. Do we need to put anything before God? Most assuredly, no. Because anything and everything we put before God becomes our idol. Even if it's just temporary. And we have been warned of idol worship. We have been warned to stay away from idols. To put God first in our everyday walk of life. This rich young ruler says, well, I love my money. And I can't come to you. I can't sell my things. I can't lose my possession. He was sorrowful. 
As we learned back also, I should have kept my finger on there, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For God the sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Death. Whenever Christ told him, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He couldn't enter into life. He couldn't do it. He couldn't follow Christ. He couldn't get past his wealth. Where is that wealth today? This 2,000 years ago. This young man didn't live that long. What did his wealth get him? Death. Christ was trying to make a point. Christ makes that point today for us as well. Don't be like those in John 6 and 66 and walk away from Christ, never walk with him again. Or even like this rich young ruler here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, to walk away sorrowful, sorrowful leading unto death. But Christ talks on. He, he makes, a, makes a point of it right here in verse 23, starting in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it's impossible. He doesn't say that. He says it's difficult. He says it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you in verse 24, and here's the, the verse that gets skewed or misinterpreted or took it out of context in verse 24. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I will say this, those who have heard this before and those who have not, here's what this is. The eye of a needle was a pass. It's not the needle that you sew with. A camel, it's impossible for a camel to go through that. It, that's, that's impossible. Christ is, is, is trying to describe difficulty, not impossible. The eye of a needle was a low pass. It was a narrow, low pass where the rocks come down, and a camel, a person would have to duck down to go through this pass. Uh, the eye of a needle, when a camel would have to go through this pass, Camel's got knuckly legs, right? So they would have to get on those four knuckles and inch, inch through, on their, on their, like you, me, me and you on our elbows and knees, crawling through a little space. He can do it if he's determined. He gets a little encouragement. That camel will go through that pass called the eye of a needle. So now we we picture ourselves, picture that pass. And we picture ourselves going through the difficulties in our life and the things that we put first in our everyday walks of life. Now apply that to verse 24. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now you might say to yourself at this point in this lesson, well, I'm not rich. I don't have millions of dollars. I'm not a rich person. Compare yourself with these folks that Christ is talking to. <coughs> we are rich. We have homes. We have cars. We have blessings from God. Immeasurable. Now how difficult was it for that camel to go through that little small pass or that little low small pass? It's easier for that camel to go through that pass than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because what tends to come first in a rich person's life? Their money. 
their possession. The rich young ruler, we just got an example of that. Did we not? He went away sorrowful. He says, well, I can't give up my possession, so I'm going to have to go back to it. I can't go with you, Jesus. I, I can't enter into life. No, he's going to enter into death. The opposite of life. So we think about ourselves. Do we find ourselves following these four fishermen? Excuse me, three, three fishermen. Jesus was the excellent more fisherman. That's the reason why I said four. But these three fishermen following Jesus, do we find ourselves there following him? Or do we find ourselves putting something before God? With this interpretation of the rich young ruler and God's example of a rich man, possessions, wealth, your money, but that's not all that can be an idol now, is it? It's not. That's not everything and anything can be an idol. Your bed, your couch, the lake, your car. That used to be my idol. I'll own up to that. I used to put my cars before God. That's before I realized God was the Almighty. And I need to be under His control. That was before I was washed and had my sins washed away. That used to be old dead, Jeremy. Oh no, we put God first now. We should. Because we need to understand what it costs God. I've, I've referred to this often. I need to press it into your minds what it costs God for us to have an opportunity of salvation. His son. Leaving him in heaven. Coming to this earth, suffered as a person, immensely suffered and dying on the cross. And that one thing, separating himself from himself. Right? Christ was separated from the Father. Those three short hours. Until he gave up the ghost. And those three days in the grave. And resurrected. Reunited yet again. Picture yourself on judgment day. If you have something if something has become your idol. If you have counted the cost and says the cost is not worth your salvation, that's saying that that's saying that you can't come to God like the rich young ruler. You can't come to God because you can't give up your possession. You can't give up the, your your lifestyle. You can't give up the lake on Sunday morning. You can't give up your Sunday morning ball games because these things are important to you. They should be no more no important than God. God should be the most important thing in your life. Period. Because if you find yourself in that position on Judgment Day, those words we find in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, more explicitly in verse 23. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But wait a minute, God, verse 21. But what, look, look what we did for you, Jesus. We, we, we talked with you. We was there with you. We, we cast out demons in your name. We've we, we done many wonders in your name. Look what we've done for you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't, because you had that idol standing in your way. With this rich young ruler and so many people today, something comes between them and God that cannot be us as a child of God. For therefore we know that we must be obedient unto death. In doing so, we will reap everlasting life. That's why Jesus said, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 17, he asked him, if you want to enter into life, he didn't say death. He says life. Keep the commandments. Today, under the New Testament, Christ would say, keep 
my commandments. Why would we keep his commandments? That that why, why would we need to do that? Because the things of the world are more enticing. Those things are temporal, by the way. Here's why. Here's why we keep his commandments. John 15, verse 9, and following, actually, but I'm going to have to run out of time. I'm going to run out of time if I read the whole thing. So we're going to uh, stop in verse 11. Verses 9 through 11 of John, chapter 15. As the Father loved me, Think about how much God loves the Son. Think how much He, how much power He actually gave to Him while He was here on this earth. How much power did He give Him in the beginning? All of it. For all things were created through Him. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. What does He say? He loves us enough to come to earth for us. He loves us enough to live that perfect example and be obedient to his Father so he can be that spot-free sacrifice upon that cross and the everlasting love he laid down his life for us upon that cross. He died that sinner's death so as you and I don't have to. We made a discussion this morning of our sin debt being paid. Your sin debt was paid. He was your propitiation. There's that word. So we think about that how much Christ loves us. Abide in my love. Now you might stop there in verse 9. Of course I love Jesus. Of course I love Jesus. I love him with everything that I have. Really? We need to take notice of this. Because if we do not do this next verse, we don't abide in his love. We're only making lip service. That is, men-pleasing, not God-pleasing. I'd much rather be God-pleasing on Judgment Day than men-pleasing on Judgment Day. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, the same thing he's telling the rich young ruler, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen to verse 10, keeping his commandments. You might say that you love Jesus Christ. I had a discussion with an individual. It's a good while ago. I said, well, how do you show? Why, why don't you love Jesus is what I asked her, she says, well, of course I love Jesus. No, not so much. Keeping his commandments is how we show that we love Jesus. By faithful obedience in our everyday walk of life. Now, that's not saying we don't sin. That's not saying that we don't fall short. Don't get me wrong. We're going to slip up. We're going to fall short. We have an opportunity of repentance. We need to grab hold of that opportunity Repent and get right in the eyes of God. Because in not doing so, we'll reap that greater condemnation. That is, being in hellfire with the knowledge that you had an opportunity of repentance and didn't do it. I shouldn't be here. Why didn't I make that choice? Why didn't I repent? At that time, the opportunity is gone. While it's here and now, we still have that opportunity. Abide in my love. So how do you abide in Christ's love? By staying in it. By continually keeping his commandments. Because look how he abided in his Father's love. By keeping his commandments. Christ lived the lifestyle just as you and I do. He had an opportunity to sin. Remember when Satan tempted him? In all three classifications that we're tempted in our everyday walk of life? Do you know what Christ did? He used scripture. He used the word of God to combat Satan. Which is our example. 
How often do we use Scripture to find out what's pleasing in the eyes of God, to tell ourselves, well, actually God telling us when we read it, we're reading it, what we need to do to abide in His love. Christ says, that's how you love me. So in other words, this rich young ruler, he didn't really want to enter into life. He really didn't want to. We need to look at ourselves. Do we want to enter into life? Or do we need to be like those three fishermen? Through their great works, how many men, I won't say fish, the great number of fish was caught. How many fish, (laughs) how many people are being caught today? Because they followed Jesus. They forsook all. This great catch that amazed them, we're going to let somebody else have that. We're going to go with Jesus. See the difference? The rich young ruler would have said, I want the fish. I want the possession upon this earth. Jesus, you go your way. I appreciate you what you've done for me, but I'm good. Peter, James, and John said, we're going with you. And a little bit later in John chapter 6, Christ asked his apostles, well, don't you want to go to? After 66, right? He says, well, don't you want to go to? Well, they look at him and said, no, not only you have the words of life. You. That's right. Where else are we going to go to find it? They ain't no other place to find everlasting life but through Jesus Christ. I want us to look within ourselves. Where will we find ourselves upon judgment day right now? Would it be following Jesus or forsaking Him to be following of the world? That is possession, money, things, places. What has took precedence in your life this morning? Has it been something else other than God even after baptism? You become distracted? You become acclimated to sin? Please don't do so. Because sin is enmity with God. You put yourself his adversary and you become someone who is displeasing in the eyes of God. That sacrifice for your sins no longer remains. You might say, what? You find that in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. You might say, well, I need to look at that. I'll encourage you to do so. Because nobody wants to count the blood of Christ a common thing. That's a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 10. Look within yourself right now. If you need repentance, if you need, if you need Christ, if you need God in your life this morning, whether it be through repentance or baptism, don't wait. Don't hesitate because tomorrow is not promised. Do not let the sun set on your wrath to God. That's our encouragement from His Word. Do you need you to come forward as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?